always try to pad the numbers so that it creates a lot more flexibility, set expectations, and then always beat the expectations. And the only way to do that is by conservative estimates. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show in the second half of our conversation with Michelle Zhang. Yes. Did I say it right? All right. Today's show is again sponsored by Fortress Capital, a private equity company that I founded to help physicians build passive income through commercial real estate. So Michelle and I were just talking about this before we started here in the middle of this interview about the purpose of that, because Michelle also operates a company that runs real estate investments. And it originally, the idea was, is as I have been investing passively and then actively in deals to give a place that my listeners, if they're like, hey, I don't even know where to go a place to land and start investing money. Uh, The show also introduces you to some other people. And so an interesting thing, this I was wondering about asking Michelle, because I just started seeing it in the last few days, is people running some great deals and several of them are ground up. And these are the ones seem to make docs most nervous because it's a bigger process. And because the projections are a bigger spread, but people offering, well, not having deals fill. People who've always had deals fill are having deals not fill. And it feels like people are more and more nervous and kind of holding back a little bit. Have you seen that? Oh yeah, very much. Um, 2023 has definitely been probably a very weird year. I mean, economically. We're really in a fog of information and we're getting different messages from different sectors and different indicators. So if you look at job growth and unemployment, we're still at historical lows, which obviously is a huge concern because wage pressure increases and therefore it creates this cycle of inflation. And I had the chance, as I mentioned to you earlier, of talking with Ben Bernanke, uh, being part of a a roundtable discussion with Ben Bernanke, and the monetary policies and the changes by the Fed are very much lagging. You know, they're lagging indicators. They hike up really quickly, and then they kind of wait and see. And that's one of the reasons why a June's pause occurred, because we're still kind of trying to tread the water and see where it's going to go. It's still expected, and I still do expect that there'll be a quarter point increase in the next. But Bernanke himself was saying September is kind of in the air. We're still trying to figure this out, and we're crossing our fingers and hoping that either the unemployment will increase slightly, or there's a it'll show that there'll be some inflation decrease. But keep in mind, the U.S. economy is very cyclical. So our buyer demand is we're leading into the next six months at the end. We have Christmas and we have Thanksgiving and a lot of Americans spend a lot of money around that period of time. So there'll definitely probably be an uptick, but that will be completely due to the seasonality of things. 
that's an interesting thing because over the last six months, as I would talk to people, there were a lot of people who were like, rates are going to go back down. As soon as rates go back down, this deal will work. And then you listen to what the Fed's saying. They weren't talking about mm-hmm. rates going back down. And a lot of people see economics like it's physics, but it's a social science. They do things and then wait for several million people to respond yeah. and see what kind of effect it has. Yeah. Think of it as in the medical field, like you're testing a new drug, a new mRNA drug. You're not quite sure if this is going to land completely. It might be within the sphere, but you'll have to fine tune things. We're right now in that period of time where the Fed is fine tuning things. So they'll launch it with like a hope that it works and that it's in the right direction. I'm one of the more optimistic people. So the US economy has been a massive driver in the world. And the two biggest drivers that I can predict in the future is technology as well as an educated workforce. And your listeners are definitely part of that. In terms of when I speak about technology, I'm not talking about necessarily SpaceX or Google or anything. I'm talking about in the biotech sphere, you have mRNA, I just mentioned, and that has created this massive opportunity to do good, to make a difference on a massive social scale. And that I can definitely see as a huge driver for the economy. And one of the reasons why I'm staying optimistic. As for the drop, honestly, most people don't see that happening until sometime in like earliest second half of 2024. So it's not a thing that's right around the corner that may well, save. Right around may- the corner, it depends. <laughs> oh, well, there's a few deals out there that people did based upon on variable rates that haven't hung on well. And If you're waiting for that short-term change, it's likely not a good thing for that deal. Yeah. I myself, I love numbers and I make sure that we take a very conservative approach in looking at deals and they have to pencil out, have to protect my investor's interest. And the only way to do it is to make sure that the underwriting is extremely conservative. Our assumptions are extremely conservative because who knew that things like the pandemic would have hit or who knew that Russia was going to invade Ukraine or who knew all these things. And you have to kind of build in that in your model. Yeah. And sometimes depending on how people put their deals out. Yes. And I know a lot of docs that have been like, well, why are their numbers all over the place? Why do they say the returns should be 20 to 50% with a one to three year hold. And it seems like a big, so these are some land deals. Oh, okay. The variability was hard, but the reality is there's some things you don't know. So when you're doing land entitlement is that likely you can get it through the county in six months, but it's a county. It might take nine to 12 months. And that changes the percentage return significantly because it takes a lot longer. Or if you're doing entitlement for apartments, if you've got a seller to sell that to who's building apartments, often will sell at a price that's per unit or per apartment. 
Well, you're going to the county and you're saying, well, I think we can get 270 out of this and the county will probably approve somewhere between 250 and 280. Well, that changes your returns if you're at the 250. But as yeah. you said, if if you're conservative underwriting, if you're new to it, underwriting is like this black box. Yeah. And it's basically doing the math. And if you're saying, okay, I'm going to use a higher interest rate by a point if the loan's not done, if it works with a higher interest rate, then you'll probably get. If it works with a lower number of units, then you'll probably get. Or it works if you're only 80% rented instead of 95. Yeah. Now it's a great deal because if you can now get that interest rate a percent lower, you get 95% rented. Now it's the better returns. But if yeah. the low end... No, you're absolutely right. So for your passive investors out there, one of the key questions that they should be asking um, the syndicators or the person who's offering a particular deal to invest in is what's the stress test? You know, if you stress tested this deal, what is the minimum amount of vacancy or occupancy? I prefer not to do variable. So I already get myself out of that equation, having to defend that. I like fixed instruments. I'm kind of old school and traditional that way, but I'm trying to minimize as many, again, my potty mouth, WTFs. <laughs> just there's already a, enough unknowns or enough variables that if I can eliminate that for my investors and myself, all of us sleep better at night. Mm -hmm. I usually stick with the more conservative, it usually costs more and that's maybe the interest rate might be a little bit higher, but if I can already preset, bake it in to my numbers and know that for X amount of years, it's going to stay that this is the steady amount that I'm paying that allows me to focus on the filling the beds, filling the units, remodeling the units, doing the things that are much more important in terms of asset managing a deal. Yeah. You go back a couple of years, there were a lot of people who are like, oh, well, we're going to refi this in three years or in two years. And that's where they got in trouble. Big Cause, time. Because the numbers didn't work anymore three years and, later. And the cap rates have changed. I mean, like we can talk about this a uh, lot more, but you've got exit cap rates. I live in San Francisco and you mentioned permits. I mean, you basically, what might be a permit issue in the length of like six to eight months in Texas would be more like three to four years in San Francisco. So that being said, as long as you bake that assumption in your model and the numbers still work, then great, go for it. But again, I always try to pad the numbers a bit so that it creates a lot more flexibility. And my idea is to set expectations and then always beat the expectations. And the only way to do that is by conservative estimates. Yeah. And the length, you talked about the length of the loans, your projected hold or how long you plan on owning it is five years. If you do a five-year loan, you might get in trouble. If you do a 10-year loan, well, now you've got a lot more time yeah. to find a good place to exit. Exactly. All right. So we talked a little bit about the technology here. So I wanted to get back to the AI. So we talked about the economics. So AI's impact in real estate. So I think for a lot of people, 
AI is this new thing because when ChatGPT yeah. came along, everybody heard about AI. There's been a lot of AI stuff kind of out in the world for a long time. Uh, tell us about what is AI and how is it impacting real estate? So there are many different ways. Everything's still nascent. So just as AI is impacting healthcare and in terms of helping maybe improve customer service, greater response rate, if we're talking about therapy, there's been a lot of discussion on AI's positive and negative impact on therapy and outreach for mental health issues. And it's the same way with real estate. Just like the dot-com era that might date me, but it used to be in which in the early 2000s, if a company just had a dot-com strategy, their value would like multiple increase. We're kind of at that stage. It's very nascent. So my job is to kind of look at it from a practical and cynical perspective and see what really works and what doesn't. I created a cheat sheet that I'm happy to share with your viewers. It just came out a few days ago. And so I'm happy to share that as a free offering to your listeners. And it just basically for the active investor, it looks at it from deal search and due diligence and the numbers and things of that nature. And I offer different tools because I've tested all these tools out myself. You know, I have different case studies of what works and what doesn't. It could be as simple as using ChatGPT 3 or 3.5 or 4 to better understand the best neighborhoods to invest in for your listeners in a particular city. Okay. And so a passive investor could use that too, because then they would go look for deals that are in the neighborhoods that now they may feel more confident that that's a good neighborhood to invest in. Yeah. I mean, you have a lot of free tools available where you can do market research. Again, I mentioned where the best neighborhoods, but also population growth, job growth, things of that nature, because obviously you want people with a higher household income so they can afford the rents. You can also find out which states or which cities and which neighborhoods has a higher renters population, because obviously you want more renters things of that nature. And so the AI portion, and just because I was kind of an AI idiot and I tried to start learning about it, but talking about using chat GPT, it's just basically doing a bunch of Google searches for you kind of as one way to think about it and yeah. then putting all the information together rather than having to go ask each of these questions individually and build your spreadsheet and go back and look at it? Am I anywhere on base there? Um, yes. If I could also just apply some of really up and coming, it's actually current also. There's just some nascent startups that are in the healthcare space that are using AI. We talked earlier about the medical field and the mental health, um, you know, just outreach, et cetera. And there's been some good and not so good results coming from the early launches of chat GPT and chatbots in the mental health fields. But there's also great opportunities in the aging space. So as a caregiver, and I mentioned that I've been in the caregiver, I was part of Aging 2.0, which is basically age tech space. And they're using things from like artificial intelligence robots. In some cases, they're like 
robotic pets that they can come in. Other cases I've seen them in like in the form of a stuffed animal so that they actually pet and nurture to help with those people suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's. There are an ability to connect. I mentioned the connection part and coordination of helping those with the ADLs, pill reminder, exercise, doctor's visits, things of that nature, anything that will help there's this a lot of talk about artificial intelligence and its ability to keep people in their homes independently longer, which is a okay. huge deal. And so that's one area of AI that I know has been discussed a lot amongst the medical profession. In the real estate side, it's also pretty nascent. You've got chatbots, for instance, to help with leasing. So. Okay. And property management. So a lot of people, they feel like they're entering a big black hole when they're looking for information on apartment availability. And this is an ability to utilize and leverage chatbots and AI to be present 24-7, always responsive. And so that the people that are actually on the ground are there to show, to sign leases, things of that nature. Rather than answering the phone and responding to emails. and That could just be repetitive. And especially in today's world where there's an employee shortage, if you can find something that you can automate versus have a person do it, that's a positive. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's lots of other uses. ChatGPT is easily used to create like broker email campaigns and reach out to tenants. I used it recently to write a legal termination contract. So my level of productivity, I already see it in a very short period of time. I probably save easily four hours of my work week using AI. All of you guys, all of you listeners think about how much you're charged on a per hour basis. Multiply it by four hours. That's a half a day. That's a half a day that I could be doing something else either spending time with family or work, more meaningful work, or uh, in this case, looking for real estate. (laughs) (laughs) Finding that next deal. Yes. I had to do that plug. (laughs) No, that's awesome because I talked to a lot of doctors and there are doctors who are, seem scared by it. And because it's an unknown and they're thinking about the Terminator movie that the machines are going to take over. And so it's just fun when you talk to somebody who's actually knowledgeable about it and they're using it and they're kind of on the cutting edge of what it is. And you're excited about it and about what a great tool it is and how it improves your productivity. And so it's almost like we're just going down this path that instead of having to send a person to the x-ray file room and bring back a hard x-ray and hang it up on the wall, and then get it back to x-ray, we now have a computer program that we can just look at that x-ray anywhere in the hospital or at home or on our phone anywhere. It's just the next step in electronic tools that are going to help people do better and remove some of the work. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. The one thing that I know doctors hate is the notes afterwards and filling out forms and the paperwork and all of that. Well, I mean, AI right now, even in its nascent form, they have a note-taking tool. Maybe it's not the best, but you can pretty much compare it to a doctor's handwriting. 
which we know has been notorious. It's better than most people's handwriting. Let's put it that way. And if you had a note-taking tool in real time that captures all this information, you can format it, cut and paste it, and then help you with your paperwork so that you can actually focus on the people side of the business as opposed to the paperwork side. I mean, right there, how many hours can that be? And so comparatively, the quality of that tool right now is basically like a Commodore 64 computer. Or Unix, something like that. (laughs) So it's really just, it's in its infancy of what it'll be able to do for us. Sure. I mean, there's a big trend right now in the space where they're trying to identify patients that need some help and some treatment that they don't like stay in the hospitals because the noise, lack of sleep, all that, the constant prodding, there's a little bit more push and trend to save money and cut costs in terms of making people feel more comfortable and getting treatment at home. Well, AI can be utilized for that, the monitoring and note-taking and the communication to everyone involved. So I definitely see it as a compliment as opposed to replacement of humans. I don't have the same Terminator uh, view that most people do. The thing I'm most excited about is the possibility in the prior authorization space that right now you're trying to get a procedure approved and somebody ends up, it gets denied. Somebody sits on the phone for an extended period of time waiting for somebody to be on the phone from the other side. And then you go back and forth about, oh, it didn't say, well, if instead automatically the AI is populating all of this, that it already knows everything that's needed and it's putting it in there. And if it's missing, it's telling you, you need this. So right during the visit, you get that information, you make sure it's there and now it's there. And now the prior auth is just done. And maybe you got AI computer, insurance computer, and your computer fighting it out for a little while. But it would seem like that process has to get better when you put it in the AI space. There's a new phrase called generative AI. It's an iterative process. So think about your example of the CPA who doesn't know real estate. Well, There are a lot of doctors that have certain specialties, but they may not be like absolutely the best or the foremost leader in that particular topic. And if a person in, let's just say Switzerland or New York, or you choose which city, who's the top specialist, start sharing that knowledge. I mean, the ability to heal and treat people at a faster rate, more efficiently, that cuts costs, that cuts time, improves the lives of people, improves your life because you're not running around, wasting time trying to get on the phone or figure out, do the research because the research is already done for you. So I see a lot of benefits. I mean, there is a healthy amount of skepticism and fear. And the White House today just published a press release on how the top seven AI creators right now, Google, Meta, et cetera, that they have committed to creating safeguards. I agree that that is needed. I see healthcare being the more cautious of adopters because of HIPAA compliancy and all of that for good reason. I mean, you don't want to create another Theranos, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's exciting. And thank you for sharing that. I guess we go off topic from real estate, but 
since this is intended to be a show for doctors, I just got excited when I saw that in some of the notes before the show, like, well, let's talk about this because it's yeah. something that's coming along and most of us don't know a whole lot about it. And it's always nice. Every little bit, every little bit we can gain to know a little bit more and know what's happening. Yeah. I didn't create an AI for the medical field, but I did create the AI for real estate and for social marketing, et cetera. And I'm happy to share that with your listeners. It's a fun topic. I'm not getting paid to do this <laughs> research or anything like that. It's just the nerdy side of me. It's in collaboration with a couple of other techies and ex-techies. So I do not take full credit and it still will always be a collaborative approach because I'm always open to learning new things. Well, that's fun. So yeah, send me that and we'll include it in the show notes. So it'll be there and be available. Absolutely. It's real pleasure. All right. Well, thank you, Michelle. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed it. Any last thing you want to add out there for docs, real estate? I mean, honestly, I would be more than happy to be of service for anyone who's just getting into real estate or is learning. I'm sure, Mike, you and I can collaborate in terms of future deals and I'd be excited to share what we're working on, my team and I are working on. Um, But also, I mean, I've got a lot of great education for your listeners for free. They could start wherever. They're nice little contained capsules of learning. And so just I would invite them to go and sign up on my website. I send uh, free education emails every week. And this week, it'll be on the economy. Last week was on technology and It could be on future deals next week. So it's just usually those three areas, those three topics. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I've enjoyed having you on the show. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, everyone. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you got value from this episode, you know other surgeons are hungry to become job optional, and you can help them by sharing this content today. I'd also love to serve you better, so I wanted to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you take a moment and leave an honest written review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. And number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help you. Schedule a call and we can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.